Hey, it's Dudley Rutherford, uh, Godly Goosebumps. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Uh, we're, we're here to tell stories that only God can orchestrate. Divine stories, holy stories, unbelievable stories, stories that God, you know, he, he, knit, he knits us together in our mother's womb. The Bible says that all the days of our life are written down before even one of them uh, come to be. And last week, if you were with us, uh, I, I hope if you've not listened to it that you'll go back and listen to the entire uh, podcast. But we began an interview with a man named Casey Diaz. I was in church one day, and someone came up and gave me his book, The Shot Caller, and said, you, Dudley, you need to read this story. This guy's been going to your church. I sat down and read this book, and it's about a man who got caught up in, in the gangs here in Los Angeles and it's his life story. And of course, at the end of the story, he becomes a believer. But as I shared last week, when I started reading this book, I, I it was so foreign to me, this type of life, gang life here in L.A. I mean, I've heard stories, but this is almost X-rated. It's certainly R-rated. Uh, but it was, it, 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 I had a hard time sleeping reading it. And we, we, you go through this book, and it's just the things that he was caught up with, this Casey Diaz, who, if you were here last week, you heard the first part of his testimony, and you're going to hear the second part here today. But when I'm reading this book, my heart is, is just in turmoil listening and, and reading what I'm reading. I can't believe that any any child could ever get to this point of doing this kind of evil but it's it's typical it's the typical way of life in gang life here in Los Angeles and other cities around the world and you're reading this book and then you turn the page and the page says and then he turned 16 and i i think about how i was raised and then i think about how he was raised and how he turned out to be a christian it, it's it's a miraculous story of, of the umpteenth degree. Last week we left off uh, where Casey was explaining, and and this is hard again to even share. Uh, but we left off last week where he was explaining what it was that eventually sent him in uh, to jail, and uh, we're going to go back and pick up that story, and then we'll we'll go into the second part of this three part story on the life of Casey Diaz, the shot caller, here on GodlyGoosebumps.com. And I get to the car. Your car? In Yeah, it was a stolen car. And, and in the car, I had a sawed-off shotgun. It was a very small one. Uh, it wasn't, you know, your normal, typical sawed-off shotgun. It was just 12-gauge. Uh, most of the times when I did carry this, it, was, it looked like a pipe on one hand and then the hammer and, and the trigger on the other side. Okay. And you kind of like snap it in. Uh, okay. I had rounds in my pocket. Uh, it was already loaded. When he comes into the car through the window to hit me with that crowbar, I had the shotgun in my hand already. And I fired. And I shot his face off. And um, his body landed outside of the car. I walked out of the car around the car, and I put four more rounds in them. Four more rounds. And then I ran off, and this is broad daylight. 
And how, how old are you at this time? 16. You're, this is where I turn the page, and it says, then I turned six, 16 years of age. 16. So the police find out who you are and arrest you. Yeah. The, they, they, they find you. Yeah. Uh, there was a teacher uh, that was at my trial uh, who saw the whole thing. Uh, this Somebody happened. saw all this happen. This happened uh, less than, a, you know, like four blocks, three blocks away from a middle school. So they arrest you, and there is a trial. There is a trial. Um, there's actually two trials, and it's heading to a third trial. And the reason why that is is um, there's two mistrials um, in the first two. Um, this is where some of the jurors decide, well, you know, it was looked at, I think they had the problem with, uh, is why are we charging them with a second-degree murder when it's a self-defense case type, type of thing? And so they were hard-pressed on, on... Plus you're young. And plus I'm young. Um, but... You did shoot him five times. Yeah, and that's what made it a second-degree murder. Yeah. Um, so we, you find out who voted what. You know, so the first trial was 8-4, and then the second trial was 11-1. My public defender wanted to go for a third run because if you get a third mistrial, you walk. Okay. Uh, it, you're, that's it. It's like you've never done anything. Okay. And I didn't want to take the chance because when I found out that, you know, it's 11-1. You're close. That's too close. And uh, I asked, I said, well, what are they offering? If we take a plea deal, what am I looking at? Okay. And by this time, uh, obviously had gone lower. Uh, so the offer was 12 years, eight months, and, and I jumped on that. You jumped on it? I jumped on that because then that, that, that meant I had a chance of getting out at some point. Okay. And you end up at Folsom Prison. Yeah, so I got tried as an adult. Um, and what happens there is I was one of the first ones, so... What takes place is that you get fit to see if you're mature enough to go into a state penitentiary or are you going to be sent to the California Youth Authority. So in, in the beginning process of that, uh, California, when they were testing this out, they would send us to the California Youth Authority. And the California Youth Authority can hold you until you're 25 years old. And then they would kick you out and you'd go to state prison. Okay. Um, so they do that to me. They, they you know... I get to CYA, and uh, I'm there for what's supposed to be a 90-day observation initially. And um, they housed me with another one of my gang members who was in there for a, a double murder. And in comes uh, a rival gang member of the, of the same victim, of, of my victim. And, uh, you know, he says to me, uh, hey, uh, this dude's from, from this gang. What do you want to do? And I said, uh, well, let's kill him. And we plan it out. And uh, I'm strangling him. And he's uh, kicking him and, and and beating him. And as as we're doing this, uh, we get caught. And uh, I wasn't going to let go. I wanted him dead. And so I, I held him. Mean, my, my, my hands were white. From and, and from just holding to his neck, I, you know. And uh, if it wasn't for this uh, this guard putting his knee on my neck by my jaw, he 
dislocated my jaw, and I had locked jaw, I, I, and that freaked me out. That's why I let go. Mm. I never had that before, and uh, I, I let go after that. From that incident, they said, nah. <laughs> so they kicked us both out of the CYA system and, and got reclassified through uh, LA County Jail. And it's in there that we continue uh, uh, just violence, man. Um, I ended up on in Max. It's and, it's just in your blood at this time. Oh yeah, and, and it's all you knew. It was in your blood. It, it, you know, there's people that go into the county jail into state prison and they and they have remorse, know, the, or, or or they or they're scared. Okay. And for me, it was just it was fun. Yeah. It, 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 I found it entertaining. It, there was no, there was, I had no breaks. Okay, Casey, I, I got, we got to get to the part where God starts to redeem you. And I, here's, here's what I remember. You're in Folsom Prison. You're, you're, they do these rankings of, of how bad the prisoners are, and you're like near the top. Everybody's a little bit worried, scared about you, and they put you in a, uh, maximum security situation, and you're the last. You're the last cell down this one row of cells. You're the, you're in the very last one, yeah. and you're in a room. How big's the room, and what's it like in there? It's an eight by ten cell. It's a shoe program. So before you, I ended up in New Folsom State Prison. You go through a uh, a ninety day period at Delano. There's two uh, reception centers. There's Wasco. And then there's Delano. So I went to Delano. And in Delano, uh, you get reclassified. You, they want to know who you are, uh, both on the street, while you're in there. They look at your folder, your jacket, to see what, you know, any charges, any other violence that, that you came up to the state with. And they have a point system. So it's from 1 to 100. The higher you score, the more security that is needed for you. Yes. So I went in, in there with 97 points, which meant as soon as I got out of the bus, I was led right to an interview room where the gang coordinator, the warden, uh, they gave you a little pep talk. And um, for me, they were going to house me in the shoe program uh, for all my the rest of my sentence. And so I was in, in the last cell. Uh, I spent three and a half years in solitary confinement. 8 by 10 cell. Uh, at that time, it was solitary. It's not like how it is now. You didn't have TVs. You didn't have anything. Uh, we all, all we had was uh, white shorts, boxer shorts, a T-shirt, a sheet, little blanket, uh, and that was it, and a roll of toilet paper. You didn't have nothing else in there. You didn't have a window. One, no, uh, no window facing outside. Uh, you have a door that closes and another uh, set of bars that go behind it. And uh, you're there for 23 hours out of the day. Um, any uh, any shower, we had three showers a week. Uh, I was escorted by four to five COs, and that's just to, down the hallway to take a shower and in five-point restraints. And then they loosen one cuff until so you could shower and use one hand. And that was my, my life for three and a half years there. Okay, j- jump to the story with the lady. Uh, you hear a lady's voice. So uh, after about a year and a half of, of that. And how old are you at this time? I was about 19, I think it was. Okay. Something like that. And um, this lady, uh, well. You hear a voice. I, I heard uh, people, and then there, there was a conversation that was outside of 
of where we're at. And there's this conversation, and I hear this lady uh, asking the CEO, this correctional officer, can I approach that? Is there a man in that cell is the first uh, question. And he says, uh, yeah, but you don't want nothing to do with that. And I didn't know that they were talking about me at this point. And she says, well, I'd like to approach a cell. And he says, you're wasting your time. She's being discouraged. And I'm, t- and, and I'm so oblivious to this conversation. Okay. Can't be about me, right? Sure. Uh, she says, uh, Jesus came for everyone. Well, wait, wait. She comes down. She comes down the hallway to your cell, and there's just a little slot there where they give you food. Yeah, the, the food tray. It's just like in a movie. There's just a yeah. little slot. And I could only see, I can really only see from like halfway down her shin to to the floor, like to yeah. her, her, her shoe. You can't see her. Can't you just see, see her, her shin. Yeah. And you hear her voice. Yeah. And she says to you. <laughs> and she says, uh, uh, my name is Francis. How are you doing? And I said, uh, couldn't be better. And I laughed, you know, and she said, that was a stupid question. I said, it's all good. She said, hey, I want to invite you, you know, we're prison ministry. Gives me a whole little rundown. And right away I shoot her down. I said, no, no, take that somewhere else. Uh, And I was respectful, but I was very stern. I didn't want nothing to do with religion. Your your book says you say I'm good. I'm good, you know. I'm I'm good. Uh, Yeah, I just didn't want anything to do with that. And she was so persistent. And so bold. Don't know who she is. I don't know her who she is. I've never seen her. Don't know her. You know what her shin looks like. <laughs> I know what her shin looks like. And she's asking you to come to a Bible study. Yeah. And she says, after me saying no, she says, I'm going to put you on my hit list. And I think that the Holy Spirit gives people like her, people like us, certain phrases or things to say Um at the right moment, mm. um, because that's a very colorful word in there. She says, I'm going to put you on my prayer hit list. Jesus loves you, and he's going to use you. And I thought, what are you talking about? Jesus yeah. loves you. And he's going to use you. And he's going to use you. And that was, you might as well tell me that in Chinese, because I don't know what that means. That's a foreign language. It's a foreign language. And she says... Uh, you know, we come here once a month. Um, would it be okay if I came to your to your cell door and just talk to you, pray for you? Once a month. Yeah, once a month. And I said, you do whatever you want. Um, but I'm, she asked you if if you'd like to come to Bible study. You said, no, I'm good. And yeah. then she said, you'd get out of your cell for an hour. Yeah. And you said, no, no, I'd, re- I'd rather stay here. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't <laughs> In want isolation to... and go to a Bible study. Yeah. And, uh, and so then she asked you if she'd come back once a month. She asked me, to, yeah, and, and I said, you do whatever you want, uh, but I'm letting you know I don't want nothing to do with this, whatever you're trying to sell me. She says, I just want to pray for you. I want to talk to you. I said, all right. And by the way, you only have about four to five minutes somewhere on there. So it's not like you have all day with an inmate. So she starts coming every every last Thursday. She's there. The last Thursday of every month, every like month. clockwork. Yeah. And she stops by. And every time before she leaves, after being shot down by me multiple times, her last words every single time for, the re- for what, 16 months? After that, after the first initial uh, visit, she says, Jesus loves you, 
and he's going to use you. Wow. And I'm praying for you. Wow. And I'm oblivious to this. I'm still running a whole entire enterprise in there. And uh, up to a moment where I'm in my cell and I'm laying down and, uh, you know, regular day. Uh, I don't I don't want to stop you, but before you tell the story, you had become the shot caller in the prison. Yeah. Even though you're in solitary confinement, the one hour that you get out, somehow you somehow in the prison you you become the shot caller i i i became a shot caller in uh maximum security here in uh, wayside oh, okay that was that's here. my that was the initial voting in but when you get up to Folsom they know that you're they already the, they because they're gang members they all know each other in all the prisons oh yeah it's it's a whole community it, it, it doesn't matter what prison you're in they matter. know who you are they know they they know the rabbit they know you they know they know everything. If you're someone with a name, they're going to know you. They, and they keep track keep track of you. Okay. Oh, when I walked in, uh, you know, I was greeted by, hey, you're such and such. Good to meet you. Man. Okay. Okay. So you're the shot caller. You're, you're in this prison. You've been there for a long time now. Yeah. And tell us, tell us about what happens. So I'm there and, and, and I'm laying down. Normal day. Normal day. I'm not under any medication. I don't, just a normal day. Folsom Prison. In New Folsom State Prison. And... Uh, I start seeing this thing on the wall that looks like a movie, a movie reel. Now, let me back up even before I start sharing this, because one of the things that tends to happen in solitary confinement, uh, the guy next door to me, and I share his story in, in my book. Yes. Uh, Piggy. Um, Piggy had been in there for 10 years when I got in there. So he had been 10 years in solitary. Uh, he had an indefinite uh, shoe sentence. Meaning, the rest of his life or whatever his sentence is, he's gonna he's gonna do that in there. Uh, one of the things that we we ran across in there is you either become extremely more violent or you go crazy because you, the walls just collapse on you. Mm. And that's what happened with with Piggy. Um, he uh, went from one day acting normal uh, to him hallucinating and thinking that he has ducks in his cell. And so it's just part of the paranoia of being in solitary confinement and yeah. not having human uh, human contact at yeah, all. Everything yeah. is stripped away. I mean So you you keep hearing him next in the cell oh, yeah. going crazy over there. He thinks he's got ducks in his he, cell. He thinks he has ducks. So he's in losing his, his mind and you can hear him losing oh, his yeah. mind. We all know that's it. Um he clocked out, you know, Piggy clocked out. And so here I am and there's a movie in my cell in front of my wall. And so you think maybe you're you're starting to go wacky. When I start seeing this thing, I'm thinking, that's it. That's my turn. This is my duck. And it's on the wall, and it's playing my whole story from childhood. I'm seeing this. You see your life story on, the sc- on a screen. On a wall. On your wall in your cell. Yeah, and, and, and I'm watching it, and I'm kind of like, you know, this is not normal. I, I'm, I think I'm hallucinating at this moment. And... It's, it's playing everything that only I would know. And then it would stop. And then when it would stop, I see a guy uh, carrying this cross and walking. And whoever this guy is, I, don't, I can't see his face. I could see his face, but I can't see his face. I can't make it up. I can't, you know, details about it. But I know whoever's carrying this cross is looking at me, and there's a mob of people. They're screaming. They're, and, and 
up to this moment, Francis Proctor had not shared the story, the gospel story. The this is the woman that has come by to say, Jesus loves you and he's going to use you. Yeah. She's never really actually shared the gospel. No, it was, you know, just I'm praying for you, little small talk. So I, I'm oblivious to the story. And, you know, I could see the crowd very angry at him, very upset. Then it would stop, and then it would go back to my to my life. And I started to see, you know, from the first time I stole a candy at 7-Eleven with my friend Jason and, you know, to stabbings, to carjackings, to home invasions, I started seeing all of that. Then it would stop, and I would see this guy carrying this cross again. But you didn't way. know. You had no concept of who the guy carrying the cross was. Zero. Uh, so, uh, you know, I see the the them putting nails on his hands. On his you feet. don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. The cross comes up, and and I'm looking. Still, no effect. Nothing. It, it's it means nothing to me. Up until this point, um, I always hated my my, my birth name. Uh, my birth name is Darwin. Didn't like it, and uh, when I was like about eight, nine years old, uh, I decided to change it. And we're outside with all the kids. There was about like maybe 15, 20 of us neighborhood kids playing ball, and at, we were actually playing baseball in this particular moment. And I said, you know, from here on out, you're gonna call me Casey. I don't know where I grabbed that from. I don't know where I heard it from. And everybody kind of looked at me, kind of like, you know, what is that all about? But nobody questioned it. And uh, so that became my nickname up until this day. And my mom, uncle, everybody calls me Casey. Nobody addresses me as Darwin. And so I see this guy in the cross. And there's two things that I believe that God, when he's about to reach you, when he's about to just capture you with mercy, with grace, he makes it so personal that you can't, you can't deny it. And for me, I was very familiar with um, the sounds of somebody dying. Mm. I, I, I knew the sound of someone passing away. And he said, Darwin, I did this for you. And when he said that, I just saw his face just dropping. And I can hear the sound of his breath leaving. And I don't know how to explain it. I just knew that at that moment, something happened in my heart. Mm. And I, nobody had ever told me how to pray. I didn't know what repentance was, but I remember just kneeling in the floor and saying, God, for, forgive me for, for this. God, forgive me for that. And I was being so brutally honest with him that I was actually saying, you know, God, I'm sorry for stabbing this guy in the eye. Sorry for stabbing this guy. Sorry for paralyzing this guy. 
and the forgiveness was so overwhelming. And that's, uh, that was day one of me becoming a Christian. I didn't know I was a Christian at that point. And somehow I knew that it wasn't that I had um, committed crimes. is that I had sinned before God. I don't know how to explain that, but I knew that I had sinned before God, that my offense was not just against the community, against my victim, against his family, or any of that. I had sinned before God. It just made it worse. Mm. And uh, shortly after that, um, you know, now what? I knew that I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. And I hear uh, God speak to me again. And this time is you're going to make a meeting when you get out, you're going to make a meeting, and you're going to let them know that you want no part in this anymore, that you're a Christian. Tell, tell about, you've heard the voice uh, that you're supposed to talk to a chaplain. Yeah, and that's another thing. I didn't know what a chaplain was. But, but in this moment with this movie and the cross and you getting down on your knees and asking God to forgive you, you hear God say, Ask for a chaplain. Ask for a chaplain, and just so the listening, this is all. This is all in this book called "The Shot Collar." You you really need to pick up and read this story. You'll have all kinds of goosebumps by the end. But <laughs> you did not even know. Just as you didn't know what a cross and what a man carrying the cross, you didn't know what that was. You didn't even know what a chaplain was. I didn't know what a chaplain was, and uh, I hear the Lord say, "Ask for the chaplain." So I asked for the chaplain, and and, and, and this is so crazy because as I go, I, I mean, I, I hear it and I go. I, I remember reading this story and it's just, that's why it, I remembered to ask you this question, <laughs> what, what the chaplain, well, you, you asked to see the chaplain. Yeah, so I, I knock on my, uh, we call it the gate, but it's the cell door. I knock on my gate and just as I'm knocking on the gate, <laughs> I don't believe in coincidence, but you know, <laughs> this CO is coming and, and, I, and he says, what do you want? And he, I said, uh, I'm supposed to talk to I'm supposed to ask you for the chaplain. And he says, Diaz, uh, are you, you know, uses some foul language because uh, he thought I was pulling his leg. I said, I don't, nah, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm supposed to ask you for the chaplain. And he kind of like, there's a pause there and he gives me, he goes, give me a second. So they can't deny me. I guess, you know, at that time I didn't know, but they can't deny me uh, spiritual help. From the chaplain, that's what they're there for. But again, you don't even know what you're asking for. And I don't know what I'm asking for. You don't for. know what a chaplain does, what he is. Nope. Uh, you just know God telling you to go ask for a chaplain. Yep. So he brings me this <laughs> card to fill out, gives me the smallest pencil in the world. And I fill it out, I give it to him. and uh, You have to fill that out to request the chaplain. Yes. And so after that, uh, you know, chaplain comes, I get escorted to this room, and I start sharing what happened in that cell. The vision, the dream, the man on the cross. You tell him everything, everything you saw on that screen, even though you didn't understand it all. Yeah. And he opens up the Bible, and he starts reading. The crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. And I'm just... I didn't know that that was in there. 
And uh, he said, you're a Christian. So he, he, he got permission for me to, because I didn't have any uh, reading. You, you weren't allowed reading material at all in the shoe. So he gives me the Bible. He gets permission. To, so that's my first, you know. Don't even tell me where to start, how you read it. I have, I'm clueless. So I get back to the cell. And, and I thought you read, read the Bible from front to back. Just that's how you normally read a, a book. So I start from, you know. Before the, in English be, or Spanish? It's in, in English. It's okay. a King James Bible. Okay. It's a Gideon Bible. And and so I'm starting from, you know, from not even from Genesis. I'm starting from like the first page. Okay. Whatever has writing, that's where I'm starting from. Okay. And I'm reading and I'm, you know, okay, I'm reading. And it's not making sense at all. You know, I'm, I'm just at all. Uh, and... Then I get the the, the, the the second message is to when you get out of here, you know, you're going to make a meeting. So I'm thinking when I parole out of here, I'm making this meeting. Well, this is already three and a half years almost into it. And out of nowhere, uh, on a particular day, my cell racks open. It just opens. And that doesn't happen. That never happens in in the shoot program. The door just opens. It just opens, and there's the the the, the warden, the same gang coordinator that was uh, with me that greeted me on on the way in. Day one. Day one, and he says, uh, "We don't know why we're doing this, but we're going to put you in mainline, meaning regular population." Um, and then it was just like, when I get out of here, you're going to make this meeting. Now you gotta understand that in this, when you're far deep into this gang culture, in a level four yard, which is the doesn't get more secure than that in California, you don't step away from your gang. It, you're giving yourself a, a death sentence. But I was at peace, and so day one, uh, I step out into the yard. I get into this picnic bench, cement bench, and I had a little handful of them. And they're probably thinking, you know, we're, I'm going to be moving some stuff or some orders are going to be given. And uh, instead, they're, I'm there and letting them know that I don't want any part in this anymore, that I'm a Christian. They didn't say nothing to me. They just want, They just turned their backs to me and walked. And I knew what that meant. I knew that there was a green light on my, my, on my life. A hit had to be done because I'm stepping down. I'm doing something that's that you just don't do in there. You knew that if you told them you wanted out of the gang violence and you were no longer going to be in the gang, that that there would be a green light for your life to be taken. You knew that going into that meeting, and you still stood up and said, I no longer want to be affiliated with the gangs. Yeah. And what, what normally happens is that what 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 tends to happen in there is that if your gang is big enough, uh, they'll send one of your own to to uh, we used to call it taking out the trash. Uh, so they're they're assigned to to kill you. And uh, we were big enough that there was some uh, of my own guys in there, and one of them uh, came to my uh, my cell wicket. A wicket is a, a window. It's about 
three inches, four inches uh, wide, about two feet uh, in height. And he comes and he's, he's very angry because I'm, I'm putting them to shame. And he says, hey, man, uh, you, know, you need to change your story. They're asking me to uh, take out the trash. And I walked up to the wicket and I said, uh, I know what you want, what you have to do, but it's all good. Uh, I said, uh, I can't change my story. I, I, something happened to me, and I can't. But I forgive you for what you're about to do. Wow, 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 wow. I don't, I, it's hard to even imagine being in that cell, knowing that you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and that in, 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 in so doing and announcing to the other gang members that you no longer want to be a part of gang life, that it's going to cost you your life. I mean, this just doesn't happen to you and to me in everyday America. But for someone who's in prison, who really deserved to be in prison, but he turned his life around, he sees the vision, doesn't even know what, here's a voice that he's supposed to go see a chaplain. He doesn't even know what a chaplain is. He tells the chaplain a story. The chaplain pulls out the Bible, starts reading the Bible to him. It's the story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, him giving his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, really fulfilling the prayers of the woman, Francis, who said, God loves you and he's going to use you. He becomes a Christian. He goes out, and the very first thing that he does is announce to his fellow gang members. Remember, gang life in prison still exists. And he knew the moment that he shared his faith, his newfound faith, that would cost him his life, and he's in that prison cell. And his friend comes in, as he just said, with a shank to take his life. He said he didn't even want to look up. And somehow God touched the heart of that man, and he led him to Jesus Christ. So here he is being used of God in a top security Folsom prison up here near Sacramento. All ladies and gentlemen, this is just the end of part two of the story of Casey Diaz, the shot caller. And we have one more segment to go, one more podcast, and it's the best. We saved the best for the last, but you're going to have to come back next week to Godly Goosebumps to hear the final segment of this story where God uses him, where he finally, does he get out of prison? Mm, yes, because I was interviewing him, and you know he gets out of prison, but how did he get out of prison, and what happened? You will not, you as, as crazy as all this is, you will not believe when he finally gets released from prison what happens to him. I want you to come back next week as we wrap up our interview with Casey Diaz, the shot caller, here at Godly Goosebumps. Don't forget to hit the share button. Imagine how many people would be blessed if they heard this story. You need to subscribe so you know when the next episode comes out. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Hit the share button, subscribe button, and we'll see you here next week for the conclusion of our interview with Casey Diaz, the shot caller here at Godly Goosebumps. <laughs>